Luke 22 and verse 31. Just two verses in your hearing. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you. To have you. That's a possession. Here's his cause. That he may sift you as wheat. Verse 32. But I. Say that with me. But I. Uh, but I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not and when thou art converted strengthen thy brethren I preach today Satan hath desired but I now lift up your voices with me wherever you are at home or here what you pray that the Lord will anoint us Hallelujah, Jesus. We magnify you, Savior. We magnify you, Savior. Hallelujah, Jesus. And all the people said amen. Would you put your Bibles down and would you clap your hands one more time? Come on, let's do it to the Lord. Hallelujah, Hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Thank you. you. May be seated, and I thank you for standing. I bring you to a rented room. If for a moment you could see what could only be counted as meager conditions in that rented room, even still. Food has been prepared for the disciples as they enter their familiar dinner. We can safely assume that the disciples had grown up with common things at Passover. The food and bread, the drink, the matzo. They called it poor person's bread. Four cups of wine. The roasted shank bone, the meat, an egg, a few bitter herbs. The reminders are all set. It's a handful of scriptures that call us to attention. The likenesses and types, they leap from the page. So many lessons seem pressed in that minimal space. The entry of these things still rests there. The disciples are unknowing men. In those verses, the basin and towel will be held by the master. There's a gathering and clamoring of who would be the greatest among them. The disciples have come to eat their tradition as a reflection of Moses' leadership and God's deliverance all the while. The real Passover lamb serves them their desired portion. It's surreal. 
held as one of the most enduring scenes drawn and painted, sculptured by da Vinci and Caravaggio and so many more. The dinner is now over and the boasting resumes, seasoned or not, they cannot possibly grasp what lies before them and before him. To the disciples, this was just one more festival in a long line of observances according to tradition, custom, command, Pesach, the 15th day of Nisan. It's then that Jesus pulled back the curtain of eternity ever so slightly when he tells them, I'm appointing you to the kingdom. Jesus said, you will eat and drink at my table and there will be 12 thrones and you will judge the 12 tribes. Even now, the imagery is difficult for us to grasp, all of it occurring in the course of their Passover dinner. Those few words alone lifted their status. It's easy to see. You will be judges. But then in seamless motion, Jesus turns to Peter, their self-appointed spokesperson. And the Lord predicts Peter's denial. It's a striking blow to Peter's pride. From prophetic words of valuation and authority to Peter's denial of the Lord. Like the skipping of a record, Jesus said, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you. He can sift you as wheat. It hardly flows. There's no lead up, no ramp up, no indication that Jesus was about to point out Peter in such terms. And then before them all, Satan hath desired you, Peter. Jesus knows the intention of the enemy and well he should. Jesus is speaking from the depth of time. Satan, the archangel, the angel of light, camouflaging the evil beneath him. Jesus knows the measure of the devil. He knows how treacherous the ways of this fallen angel can be. Satan's schemes have not paused, never paused, even for a moment. Jesus is speaking to Peter about his very near future. He's planting both a warning and a seed of hope in the heart of this disciple who think, who will carry the keys of the kingdom of heaven all the way to Pentecost. That moment is a critical moment. It's based upon this moment. To many, I submit that that entire scene is lost on the horror that follows. There is no scene like that of the Lord's crucifixion. It masks so many other things in those connecting critical narratives. The capture of Jesus Christ in their common garden prayer room and then the beatings, the scourge, the crown of thorns pressed and then beat upon his brow and the blood, so much blood and the nails of the cross in his hands and feet. This moment and so many other prior moments seem to fade in the light of Judas' midnight betrayal and the Lord's subsequent anguish. Even still, Jesus has declared a reality soon to come. Satan hath desired to sift you, Peter, as wheat. He wants to have you. And Peter's short reply reveals his own self-confidence. When the Lord told him of Satan's desire, Peter replied, Lord, I'm ready to go with thee. I'll go with you into prison and to death. Peter is sure of himself. He has no doubt in his ability. He does not question his own faithfulness. He knows he is strong. And many have thought the same of themselves. Peter could never have imagined what the next few hours would bring. He did not understand the length that the Pharisees and high priests would go to 
in order to dispose Jesus. He was oblivious to their impending danger. Besides, Peter was bold among the other disciples. He was confident and certain as he sat at that table. It's a lot easier to profess faith and love when you are among friends. Standing up against the accuser is much harder in real life. And if you happen to be surrounded by a host of accusers, well, not too many farewell. And nevertheless, Peter believes in his own resolve and he says as much, Lord, I'm ready to go with you. I'll go anywhere to prison. If you're going there, I'll go there. If you're going to death, I'm with you. I'm ready. But the Bible tells us that upon the Lord's capture, Peter was not ready. Instead, Peter followed from afar. He crept from behind in the shadows and listened in to what was happening. It's then that he was approached by a young girl. The Bible says a young damsel. She accused him of being one of the Lord's disciples. And suddenly Peter is caught flat-footed. He finds himself denying any association with the Lord. And finally, with emphasis, he swears a solemn oath that he has never known the Lord. Peter is in full rebuttal of his own prior declaration. I never knew him. It's probably easy for people to look down on Peter's denial. Most of us have never been pressured like that in our life. I don't know of anyone here who has lived under the threat of death for identifying with Jesus Christ. But the day is coming. I urge you to open up your eyes at the closing moments of time that are pressing upon us at this very moment. Believers are going to face things they have never faced before. It is coming. So if... Uh, So if you are still wallowing in trivial matters that mean nothing. If you're wasting your time hosting relationships that hurt your walk with God. That lead you away from devotion and commitment. You ought to change now while you have this little time. Yes. I'm preaching and I'm reaching for you. Get out of that mess. Jesus is coming. And what will you be doing when the trumpet sounds? Still gossiping? Still? Still holding on to old grievances? Still? Still wavering in your commitment? Still? Still holding on and holding back and not really being sold out to the cause of Jesus Christ? Still chasing material things of this world? Still? Time is running out. And they will be oppressing. The enemy of this world will not let you live in peace. He's not a live and let live kind of a devil. Synoptic Gospels quote Jesus in the same way. When Jesus said, And ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. The separation has always been the name. Not spiritual giftings, not tongues, not, not anything but the name. His name will be considered hate speech. Still? After all this, still? 
I wonder how close we are to the last days of time. I wonder how close we are to the rapture. If you knew that the Lord was going to come back in three months or six months or even 12 months, how would you live differently than you're living right now? You got 30 days left. How are you going to change your life right now? You're going to wait till the last day and say, I'll get it right when at the very end, when I really sit. I'm going to tell you right now, he's coming very soon. The, the coming of the Lord is very close. You might not even have three months left. Uh huh. I say there's a battle for your faith. There's an all-out affront against your consecration to the Lord and to the things of God. Make no mistake. The Lord will never leave you nor forsake you. But Satan will also never give up on deceiving you. And regardless of the Passover proclamations, I'm ready, I'll go, I'll do it. Midnight is coming and the accuser is plotting his course. And Peter wilted it. And the sound of that crowing rooster called back into remembrance the words of Jesus. Peter, Satan had desired to have you to sift you as wheat. And Peter's impending temptation and denial could not be stopped. It was spoken by Jesus. You shall deny me. Before the rooster crows three times, you will say you never knew me. You, you'll say you had no relationship with me. It's coming, Peter. No matter how well you think of yourself. Can you hear me today, ladies and gentlemen? No matter how gifted you are, or this church is, or what happens in your life, no matter how strong you think you have become, there will be a shaking and your faith will stand trial. You'll pray with no reply. You'll give with nothing in return. You'll try with no success. There'll be something that causes an unsettling in your life. Your faith is going to stand trial. Oh, yes. And regardless of your church tenure or affiliation or the depth of your ministry, your relationship both to this house and with the Lord will be challenged. Someone or something is going to challenge you. I'll tell you why. Because temptation is an ongoing part of this life. So don't ever think that you're over it. You never get past being tempted. Whoever told you that they've graduated from temptation, they're just full of pride and arrogance. And if they say as much, then they already have succumbed to their own temptation. Because theirs was pride. You see, some temptations don't include alcohol or beverages or drugs or illicit drugs or what people see with their eyes. Some temptations have to do with believing lies. Some have to do with entertaining a false witness. All because that false witness stroked their ego and made them feel important. Some temp Are you hearing this now today? Some temptations include bitterness. While others include success. Both leave you empty and undone. If it's your temptation. So don't think you can live unguarded. Satan has been at his business longer than you've been alive. He's met people just like you. With deeper roots and stronger ties than you have. And he has shaken them to the core. 
And just about the time you think that you cannot be led astray, that is the moment when he catches you cold and indifferent. Paul told the church at Corinth, he said, Wherefore, let him that thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. I hope you can hear this now. The devil, the world, sometimes even people who claim Jesus Christ, they can offer you something designed to destroy your life and your faith. All three entities are powerfully deceitful and it doesn't matter which one it comes from. If you give in, the end result is still the same. In my younger years, I think they're still here. I used to rank them, but now I'm no longer sure which is more dangerous to your faith. For Peter, it was the realization that the Pharisees and the high priest had finally broke through their inhibitions Jesus was indeed going to die. The realization that a cruel death awaited the Lord was more than Peter could bear. He did not want to join the Lord. Peter knew that any connection with Jesus meant to link himself with a condemned man. That damsel, the one that questioned him around the campfire, was but the final straw in that chaotic scene filled with panic and fear. Look at the moment. A rented room with friends and food. Words of status and elevation from the Lord. And now Peter will fall far from his verbal declaration of loyalty. He ran from prison. He hid from death. He was frightened. Jesus said it. Satan had desired to have you, to sift you, to destroy you. And I've said all of that today just to get to two words of great hope and purpose. But I. Satan has desired... But I, think of it, the incarnate God, Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man, Jesus, who said of himself that he thirsted and yet he was the living water. Jesus, who said that he could do nothing, but also said that all power in heaven and earth was put in his hands. He was both God and he was man. He was the ancient of days, the I am that I am, and yet he was the mortal man after Mary's own flesh and now the man Christ Jesus leaps forward to offer Peter what is so needed in our hour he offered Peter an intercessor I prayed for you Peter that your faith fail not it is a reality of our time there is a sifting going on it is a destructive force to divide the saved and destroy any hope for the lost but I I'm not numb and I'm not dumb or ignorant to the devices of the devil but I I know exactly what he's doing but I rise to say I am not going to sit silent and be still but I Jesus did not lead Peter empty-handed. Jesus told the truth. You will have temptation. There will be a trial. Satan wants to tear you apart. He is a roaring lion. Walketh about. He's seeking whom he may devour. He is indeed the father of lies. He has come for nothing less than to steal, to kill, and to destroy. There is no truth in him. He is a deceiver. So many lives today are hanging in the balance without an intercessor. Somebody, some church, We've got to reach. We've got to love. We've got to teach. They have no one if they don't have you. 
And I so hope you don't take this the wrong way. I know that there are other ministries, but I stand here to say, if we don't reach them, nobody's going to reach them. And if we don't bind together, and I mean bind together, there will be no help and no hope for hundreds and perhaps thousands of people in our surrounding communities and our connecting cities. Satan has desired to sift me. He wants me. Because if he can destroy me, he can destroy a lot of innocent people. It's called the casualties of war. Uh-huh. I'll move past that, though it begs me to stay there for a long time, to awaken the church. Yes. He would love to destroy every leader in every church. Because the people that are not strong will surely fall away and become discouraged and not fear God or believe if he can destroy the leaders of the churches. So if you are a participant in hurting the leader of your church, shame on you. Go find another church. I got sharp during Corona. I got a little bored, but I got sharp too. I got sharp. I'm not smooth. I've lost my smoothness. Not in my dancing. That's still smooth, elder. I can get down. My kids are not so impressed, but they ain't got no style anyway. They don't know. Uh Uh-huh. The devil would love to destroy you. He wants to destroy me and you. He wants to have you as a possession and sift you like wheat. He is actively working on taking down every church and the body of Jesus Christ. Do not think for a moment that Satan has forgotten about us. He did not take a vacation during the coronavirus. He's been hard at work the entire time. He does not believe in social distancing. He's very close. He's working in these last days to disrupt, to infect, to pollute, and to pull apart the body of the Lord. He would confuse, convolute, and utterly ruin every church and ministry that preaches the apostolic doctrine if he could. And in some cases, he has. No one knows how powerful the Holy Ghost really is like the devil. He was there when it was first poured out. And no one understands how impenetrable and powerful the blood of Calvary is. When he got the Lord on the ground, he should have kept him on the ground. But he made a big mistake. The moment they lifted him up, the moment they lifted Jesus up, it was over. Because Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw. Yes. He would love to sift you as wheat. And I'm afraid that those words don't land as the shock and awe that they were meant to be. Our English language doesn't lend itself to the reality and horror of being sifted. The devil wants to tear your life apart. He wants to drain you of joy. He wants to destroy your mind and corrupt your heart. Sifting is taking all the good things out of your life and leaving you empty and undone. Satan has desired, but I, the Lord, is calling on us to be intercessors. And it means to intervene on behalf of someone else. It means prayer. But it also means a lot more than prayer. 
If you think it's just prayer, it's more than prayer. It is you taking your time and your life and bringing someone into your life and into a relationship with you and then leading them to Jesus Christ. Intervening happens every time our groups get together and canvas our neighborhoods and give out food and help and encouragement. Look at the scripture. The children of Israel are but a handful of days from their great escape. They're finally out of Egypt. But Egypt is so deep inside of them still. 490 years takes its toll on a generational mindset. That's where many people are today. They grow up, it's a generational mindset. In North Korea, which garnishes very little attention around the world, there are generational imprisonments up to three generations. That, mean, that means a child can grow up in the horrid, wretched conditions of a prison camp because their grandfather did something wrong. That's what's happening today. It's generational bondage. They never knew any different. People never knew joy or hope. They didn't even know what a normal home looked like. To them, normalcy is far different than what you think it is. And those people get out of Egypt, but they pause at Mount Sinai, and Moses leaves them at the foot of the mountain so he can spend time with God. But many of them could not make it on their own even for almost six weeks. No sermons, no meetings, no fire, no community, no Bible lessons, no leader. And suddenly they turn their attention to the god Asics, which is a golden calf that they used to help make in Egypt. Can I tell you that not all gods are made of gold? In fact, most gods are simply people who lift themselves up before other people. Moses comes down from the mountain to a faithless group. How soon they have forgotten what God did for them. He's a whisper from obscurity. Moses was the same. They said of Moses, who is this Moses? All that Moses had done for them, the sheer power and miracles, the plagues wrought by Jehovah through the hand of this deliverer. And they said in Exodus 32 and verse 1, as for this fellow, Moses brought us out of Egypt. We don't even know what happened to this fellow. They distanced themselves from Moses because that's what people do when they don't want to be accountable. They shrug off their leader as some fellow. Oh, I'm preaching the word today. I hope it pricks your heart. I hope it does surgery on your life. I hope it saves you and rescues you from a life of sin. I'm preaching the word. How when Moses sees what they have done and what they have become, he becomes angry, but not so as much as God himself. God was ready to wipe them out and begin again with a brand new people. God would have crushed a lot of them and Moses knew it. So Moses went back to God and he stood up and said, Oh Lord, these people have sinned. I know they have, but if you're going to blot them out, then take me out too. 
What was Moses doing? He was recognizing their failure, but he was standing in the way as an intercessor. He was being truthful and honest. I know they're no good. It's like Abraham. I know that Sodom and Gomorrah needs to be gone, but would you spare it if you found just a few? He was intervening on behalf of the people. He inserted himself, but I... But I, can the church finally rise up and insert themselves into the pathway of this wicked world and the people that are dying? When you really become an intercessor, you become a connector between the lost and the Lord. And for those of you who might think that perhaps this is not your calling, just take note of the people God is looking for. I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge. I sought for someone that should stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it. I wouldn't have destroyed it if somebody would have just stood up. I would have let it alone. I would have healed it. I couldn't find anybody. I was looking for a hedge builder and a gap maker. I was looking for somebody that would get in the way. I just couldn't find anybody. Unless I move too fast from the scripture, please note that all the prophets in those days and all the supposed spiritual people in those days, God could not find one who would fit the profile as an, inter- as an intercessor. God searched for prophets with pure hearts, but he could not find even one. They'd all spoke lies and deceit. They'd all become self-serving. Those prophets wanted fame and notoriety. They wanted acceptance by the people. They were not interested in hearing the voice of God because they loved the sound of their own voice and I'm preaching today maybe you should fast something maybe you should go on a fast so you can hear God if not food fast something else break up your routine fast your coffee in the morning fast Facebook that would be a miracle fast Instagram I don't even know if you can stand it for one week no It's uncomfortable. I can feel it uncomfortable because I know you'd clap. But when I get on your, 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 when I get on what you like, (laughs) put away something. Go on a fast. Listen to God. Be still. Hear what the Holy Spirit is speaking. Don't talk all the time. Just be still and don't move too quickly so that you know exactly what the Lord is speaking to you because he's looking for someone to stand in the way. But here in Ezekiel, instead of standing in the gap for the nation, they stood on the sidelines and allowed extortion and the practices contrary to the law of the Lord. God was looking, still he was looking, he was searching both then and now, wanting someone to take on the burden for the people. It was clear that the people were headed for peril, but some of their prophets thought it too much work to get involved, so they stained their own calling by working against themselves. In fact, If you look deeper, they fought against each other. And in some cases, those prophets in those days prophesied against one another. Can you imagine that people who would call themselves prophets or ministers would work against each other? It was a reproach then and it is a reproach All that vying for position while the world is bleeding out, dying from sin and confusion. The church gets tangled up with things that do not matter. So I come to you today and I say, stand in the gap. Somebody stand in the gap. Somebody get in the gap, get in the way. 
If you don't know what to do, then you start praying until God tells you what the next step is. And then when the next step is, you get up and go do something. Write a card, write a letter, take a visit to somebody's house. Do something. Bring them with you. Bring them to the house of God. Bring them to the prayer room. Go into their home. Sit down with them. Bring it. Bring some cake or pie or something. Do something with them. But get in the way. If you see the enemy working, insert yourself. If there is no voice, then insert your praise and worship. When this house gets a little dry, I will say insert yourself, stand in the gap. We cannot afford to have one church service without someone shouting, praising God, clapping hands. Insert yourself. Stop looking for someone else. Stop saying, well, they're the ones that always do that. You're the one responsible. If you're telling me that it's not your personality, I'll tell you that everybody who's born of the Spirit takes on the new creature. And now you've got to have a new personality. All right. And in fact, personality has nothing to do with making a loud noise. Because there are no personalities that don't make a loud noise. It just depends on what you get excited about or angry about. If you only make a loud noise when you're angry, then practice that loud noise until you insert that into joy. It's the Bible. It's the Bible. But we've been waiting for someone else to stand in the gap and make up the hedge. God's looking for you. Hear me. If it's too quiet and there's no joy, shout for joy. What are you waiting on? Shout for joy. Years ago, someone said, if we could just get people to start worshiping and dancing around here. And finally, I looked at the individual and I said, well, why don't you begin the first? I'll follow you. Yeah, that didn't go over real well because they wanted someone else, not them. If you see a division, be a unifier. Stand in the gap. Where do the peacemakers go? Stand in the gap on behalf of someone else. Blessed are the peacemakers. If you hear that someone's discouraged, insert yourself as an encourager. If they say, I don't know if I can make it, you say, yes, you can. You will. You're going to. You're going to survive. In fact, you're not just going to survive, you're going to thrive. I'll say it right now today, all you that are struggling, you're not just going to survive, you're going to thrive. It may look, it may look dark right now, but you're going to get up. You're getting up. You're getting up. You're going to make it. If someone is down, be the hand that picks him up. If you see trouble, insert help. Say, but I. I know what's going on, but I. I know the devil is working, but I. I know Satan would like to have you and desire you and take you and possess you, but I. I know he'd like to sift you, but I. The devil would like to destroy our family and our church and our community. I'm almost done. In mathematical terms... It's called a zero-sum game. I'll give that to you in layman's terms. It means that both the gains and the losses are always exactly balanced. The loss becomes a gain. They show up on both sides of the balance sheet. What becomes a gain for one side becomes a loss for the other side. What becomes clear on one side is still 
clearly marked as a loss on the other side. No one is left without a side. There's no middle ground. Everyone counts. Heaven or hell. Saved or lost. Found or abandoned. Hedge builders are needed, ladies and gentlemen. People who are inter- it will intervene are needed because every time we reach someone, we subtract their names from the annals of hell and the Lord adds them to the Lamb's book of life. <laughs> Satan's desire is that not one of you will be found and that everyone will be lost. He's interested in taking this house of worship and disbanding it and destroying it. But he also desires to work in our city and in every city that hosts the gospel of Jesus Christ. But I'm wondering if I have anybody here today that would insert their life and say, but I... Come on, you got to say it. I'm not willing to sit on the sideline. I'm not willing to do nothing. I'm not willing to wallow in my own misery. I'm going to get in the way. I'm a hedge builder. I'm a gap maker. I make it up. I get in there. I do it because I know someone is lost and they need us. Please stand with me now. Wherever you are, lift up your hands and your voices right now to God. Lift up your hearts right now to God. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. We're calling on the Lord. He's calling you. He's calling you. He wants you. You're the, you're the person. Come on, young lady. You're the person. Come on, young mother. You're the one he's calling you today. Come on, young person. He's calling you young girls, young young boys. He's calling children. Come on, he's calling moms and dads and grandfathers and grandmothers. He's calling you as a couple, as a family, as an individual. He's calling you. It's coming soon. It's got to be intense now. There's no time for nonsense or flagrant living. Every person added is a person subtracted. Even Paul said, we pull them from the fire, hating the garments that were stained, but we pull them. I wonder if there's any folks here now, and even at home, if you'll commit to this now. Come on, church, please. Not today, but tomorrow and Tuesday and Thursday and Wednesday and the next month. Reach now, reach, reach. Stand in the gap. The Lord's looking for you. Yes, yes. I'm giving you a moment. And this altar is open. If you would like to come, please be considerate. And if you're at home, I want you to reach out to God and stand up to your stand up on your feet. I want you to reach your hands up to heaven. And I want you to commit something to God. I want you to get out of that comfort zone. I want you to get out of that living style. I want you to pray for a burden for people. Come on, it's a lot easier to, to live with a burden for the lost than to live for yourself.
Yes.